720 WGN. Hey, it's Amy Guth in for John Williams today with you about another hour. Thanks for spending time with us today. Always grateful to you for sharing part of your afternoon. Well, lots to talk about today. And of course, in all of the many political headlines we have in a given day, uh, today we are looking at uh, the start of the the new version of the travel ban, travel ban 2.0, if you will. That goes into effect 7 p.m. our time here in Chicago. And, you know, the first time when it was first introduced right after uh, earlier in the Trump administration, a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion around it, a lot of miscommunication around it. So a lot of people weren't sure how to enforce it, how to talk about it, how to think about it, what was right, what was real, what was fake news, real news, all those things. And so we, we talked through it at that time. And again, as this new one has been introduced, we shall talk through it again. And so joining us to help us do that is DePaul Professor of Political Science, Ben Epstein. Welcome to the program, Professor. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Amy. It's great to be with you. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your afternoon for this um, contentious and co- complicated and sometimes frustrating to make sense of topic. So as we yeah. as we look at sure. Travel Ban 2.0, what is the, just kind of it, off the top, what is the biggest difference between as it was first introduced back in January versus now? Yeah, so I don't know whether we should call this 2.0 or 3.0. It's kind of hard to know at this point. But um, but originally, um, shortly after uh, the new administration took over, there was a, a uh, there was uh, essentially the travel the first travel ban in January was uh, blocking all. Um, uh, immigration coming in from for for a short period of time coming in from seven majority Muslim nations, uh, refugee status was going to be blocked for a longer period of time, including a uh, permanent uh, ban for Syrian refugees coming in, and uh, and that was very quickly there, that was what led to major um, outpouring uh, at at airports all around the country and saw incredible amount of uh, of outrage and uproar and was quickly stalled in the courts. A revised version in March was rolled out that basically did a, a couple of things, but the most important changes was that it revised the countries from seven down to six. It removed Iraq from the original list and kept the other six nations. Um, and it also changed some of the language um, about uh, religion and, and religious minority status that some people were really concerned about in the original um, in the original executive order and took that out. So, so that revised version in March is what the Supreme Court um, was referencing this week and didn't really decide, but they dis- they said that they would then hear the case um, in October and and took a subset of that and allowed that to carry on, which is what we're going to get into starting tonight at seven o'clock. Right. And immediately when the Supreme Court made that uh, made that announcement, it sparked a ton of think pieces very, very quickly because everyone has a take. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, lots of hot takes. Um, but but among them were were kind of a, a little bit of a. Um, a little bit of a narrative emerged pretty quickly of does this Supreme Court even need to hear it at this point? If this is if this is existing, you know, what's what could we possibly expect to possibly change in October? 
Right. It, yeah, it's a, it's a really important question because uh, part of the or, or maybe the major reason for the original executive order, according to the Trump administration, was to sort of pause things, right, to put a 90-day, maybe even a 120-day, depending on the executive order that we're talking about, um, freeze on this process from a few of these countries so that they could determine the vetting process and make sure that it was safe and to see what needed to change. What's unclear, though, is that is what has changed, right? We, we've had over 90 days from that original January executive order. Uh, we will have another over 90 day period from uh, from this week uh, to uh, the, when the case is actually heard by the Supreme Court in October. So it's not exactly clear um, what the time frame is and, and what is really needed or, or whether the administration is still using the same rationale for this travel ban. It is really confusing. Yeah, yeah. And I think what something something else that got tangled up really quickly in the initial rollout of this um, in addition to just its administration from TSA and, and other agencies was was the the difference between travel, immigration, and refugee. That seemed to kind of get lumped together and 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 blurred those lines quite a bit. Right, right. Yeah, there. Now it's um, I guess those differences are becoming a bit more clear, but it's it's through this interpretation of, and I, I think that there will be an ongoing interpretation of uh, what the Supreme Court said, especially this term, this bona fide relationship, right? The bona fide relationship. What does that mean? How is that interpreted? And and we're getting more clarity from um, the State Department as of um, a, a cable that was uh, released through Reuters um, earlier today that defines some of the f- family relationships that are or are not included. And uh, and so it's becoming a little bit more clear, but there are still some things that are very much up in the air. Yes. And looking at that list, it seems really, really um, not only confusing, but, <laughs> but a bit almost yeah. arbitrary. And if you were a person whose family was coming here, it would be gut-wrenching because it, it, there are plenty of times when it when it could easily mean half of your family stays behind in a place the other half of your family comes here because that list is that is calling a bona fide relationship uh it is we're saying that's going to be a close family so a parent including a parent-in-law spouse child adult son or daughter son-in-law daughter-in-law sibling whether whole or half and includes step relationships but it does mm-hmm. not include grandparents, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, fiancés, and any other extended family. So, I mean, th- then you start getting into situations where your, say, your sibling can come here, but your fiancé cannot, and, and really difficult, very human, gut-wrenching things that, that, show, that, that are going to start showing up as a result. Absolutely. I think the, the word that you used, arbitrary, is exactly what has come to mind as I've been reading through this. It's, um, this, is, uh, this is brutal for families, right? They're, they're, I, I, I don't know uh, very many people that would not consider their grandparents or grandchildren uh, close family. Right. I I, um, I I just don't don't quite see the difference. And and the the Washington Post has a really great article because it, they include a visualization of this where they sort of show who who would be included and who would not. And the idea that, say, a half brother or sister would be included, but a fiance wouldn't. Um, 
or a grandson wouldn't it is is it, it truly seems arbitrary and, and you can even picture it a little bit easier when you can see these these charts but it is really confusing it, it's it's helpful on one hand because it, it at least clarifies what is and what is not included but it does not seem to be very clear why uh, why uh, someone would be in one category and not the other, uh, especially when it comes to um, relationships that are talking about a, a direct connection to the country, because that's what they're really talking about. We've had, ever since the 1965 Immigration Act, we've we've included family relationships as a key part of who can and who cannot come here. Uh, and And that is a part of this new ban. It's just not clear at all why, I guess, why one category is included and one category is not. Um, at least they've named some of those. I don't think that that will uh, end any of the controversies anytime soon. Right, right. The other beat of this it, under the umbrella of a bona fide relationship is with an entity in the United States. And so yes. that's another piece that, that really kicked up quite loudly after the initial announcement of this because immediately I know a lot of um, – a lot of the the tech industry and a lot of people in academia immediately said, "Wait a minute, that's a big swath of professors and and brilliant minds that we would be excluding. Hang on here." And I think that part also gets very interesting as to and and I think could almost pave the way for some I don't know malfeasance might be too strong a word, but perhaps a little bit of favoritism as to who mm-hmm. you know who can get there you know if we start seeing say elite institutions getting professors in and maybe like a, a state college not doing so you know that might be another point sure. of consternation for sure but um, I I thought that was interesting that it particularly noted um, a hotel reservation whether paid or or not would not constitute a bona fide would, would relationship. Not count. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So it's really we're talking about job offers, but it still has this kind of layer of discretion over it, which I think is got is what's got people so troubled about it. Yeah, I think that's uh, uh, I think that's an important aspect here because it, my my understanding is that there would not be um, it would be hard to say that an elite college, let's say, would not be able to bring in a lecture or would be able to bring in a lecture and a smaller liberal arts college or a state school wouldn't. I think that most of those would be covered under this, um, along with um, other job offers. They have sort of connections to organizations, including um, student visas, which is a big deal for a lot of my students are, are concerned about what could happen with with bands if they're from, you know, if they're coming from certain countries around the world. Um, so I think that those things seem to be included for the most part. It obviously remains to be seen exactly how any of this will be, um, will actually be followed up and, and, you know, what happens in airports around the country. But that seems to be rel- relatively clear. What is really unclear to me um, is how this affects potential refugees. And I think that refugees are going to be uh, are still the most vulnerable in many ways, but are still the most vulnerable under this current um, interpretation of what's going on here because the organizations that people may or may not be connected to uh, do include universities, do include jobs, but are not clearly connected to resettlement agencies, which is what so many refugees are connected to and usually have been working with for well over a year. It's often a, a more than a two-year process for refugees coming into the country. So it's very unclear whether potential refugees will be able to cite their relationship with those organizations as bona fide status, as a relationship with a bona fide entity that would allow them to get in. That's still very much unclear uh, because the majority of, or at least a large proportion of refugees do not 
have those other relationships here. They're they're trying to come to the United States because it's safer, because they're trying to leave um, areas that are 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 dangerous or um, you know have famine or for many other uh, really important reasons. War, obviously, in the case of Syria. So you have uh, the question of what those organizations, which types of organizations do and do not fit outside of jobs and outside of lectures at, uh, or visiting positions at universities. I think that's very much up in the air. Indeed. And I think one, one last thing that, that seems to be very much up in the air is how we are describing the deadline of 7 p.m. Central Time, because I know the first time this happened, you had people boarding planes with everything in a row, all the ducks in a row, all the paperwork in order, getting off the plane with complete mayhem. And so I think that's a bit unclear, too, as to do you have to be on the plane or on the ground by 7 p.m.? Or, you know, how does that kind of all go? So I know there have been some uh, organizations such as um, Amnesty International that has pledged that they'll be sending uh, representatives at, to, you know, JFK and to Dulles, where you see a lot of uh, international flights to just kind of keep an eye on things. Because I think that will be really interesting just to kind of watch and see how, because it's all about, it's the, the discretionary part that I think has is, is got people quite worried. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that there will be the same amount of um, uh, same volume of protests around the country, but there definitely will be concerns about how this is going to be rolled out. Um, it was rolled out a bit more deliberatively than uh, in January, which led to all this chaos. Um, I think part of the reason why the, the cable was released uh, last night or early this morning was to give not only foreign countries, but also airlines the ability to um, understand what was and what was not going to be included here. Um, it sounds like uh, everyone that boards a plane would need to have the appropriate visa um, or documentation. So the expectation is less chaos on the arrival side, um, but that remains to be seen. And I think that the questions that you bring up are really good ones. We, um, we'll see how this plays out over the next few days, um, but it's, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. And also, everyone should keep in mind that this is temporary. This is not a decision on whether or not the travel ban is acceptable long term. It is simply that it's going to be heard in the fall by the Supreme Court, and this sort of watered-down version of the watered-down version is going to be allowed until that point. Right. Well, and that, and that is a very important uh, uh, point to add to this discussion, because I think right now, uh, in, the way things go in, in, in our news cycles and in, in political events, it seems like everything is, we can only look for what's happening today. It's hard to look for <laughs> Right. Indeed. Well, absolutely. thank you so much for being with us today, Professor of Political Science at DePaul, Ben Epstein. Thanks so much. Uh, my pleasure, Amy. Thank you so much for having me.